Well, good morning. It is good to be here. We, uh, we're on the biggest adventure of our lives. And I know that there's people here that that's on an adventure as well. Is there anyone here on an adventure with God? Oh, we're at the right place. I love Ian's adventures. Who'd like to go on an adventure with Ian and God? Yeah, that, that sounds like fun too. Um, so much of an adventure is actually, the thing about an adventure is there's surprises involved along the way that end up with people doing things, uh, surprised that you're taking risks that you'd never thought you'd take. And, and it's exciting and it's scary. And it's exciting and it's also scary. But that's the beauty with God is that the Christian walk is not supposed to be possible. It's like we nod, yeah, I know, I know. So one of the things we never imagined that we'd do is write a book. Never dreamed of it. And it started off as a, as a manual, and then we got told to turn that into a book. So we've got some here, but the intent of this book is not just to be more information for you, but to actually spark you and give you fuel for your journey. And it's full of activities that will help you discover what God has written on your heart, turn it into practical steps of how do I walk that out, and then how do I overcome the challenges on the journey. So who wants this one? I want, I want to give it to someone who's here for the first time. So why don't you come on up and get this? So come on, let's give her a clap. And hey. All right, so turn on your Bibles to 1 John 4. And we just declare that it's tall poppy time. It's tall poppy time. That'll, that'll become apparent a little bit later. But I want to start by reading 1 John 4. And we're going to play 17 and 18, but I'm going to start at the end and then come back. And it says this. This is in verse 18. At the end of that second half. It says, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. He who fears, who has fear, has not been made perfect in love. Okay, now let's go back up to the start. Verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. That, that's just good news right there. So that when we stand before God, we have no fear, no fear of judgment, no fear of punishment, no fear of torment, because love is in us. Let's read on. Because as he is, so are we in the world. So what's it talking about? Who's it talking about? Who's he? 
You're allowed to shout out. It's church. It's okay. So who's he talking about? It's got a big H. It's kind of a clue. Yeah, so as he is, so are we in the world. So as Jesus is, so where's Jesus? He's in us, but where is he seated? Okay, so I want you to imagine up here is this beautiful, big, green couch. And it's a two-seater couch. And it's actually the throne of God. And God sits it on one side, and he's like the most kind, loving dad you've ever met. We, we haven't met anyone like that here. But we get to meet him and receive his presence all the time. And then Jesus is sitting beside him. So where are you sitting? I, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to take my butt and I'm going to wiggle it in between the two of them. And I figured that's the place, safest, most best place to live all my life. Because as he is, so are we in the world. That's only one aspect of it. It goes on, it says this. There is no fear in love. So the opposites. Fear, love. You can't have both. One will chase away the other. But he who fears, sorry, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment or punishment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. What's this all about? Who is love? God is love. Where is God? God's in us. God dwells. The fullness of God dwells within us bodily. So I have love inside of me. I'm not so sure about that. Because I've got fear there as well. So there's this fight going on. But I know the more that I become aware of his presence, the more that I engage his presence, fear cannot remain. So how do I know someone that's encountered God? Fearless. That I have God in me. And if I will spend time worshiping and dwelling in his presence, fear is chased away. So that no longer do I, am I afraid of punishment. I can run to my daddy. I can throw myself in his arms. Why? Because he is love. And the closer that I get to him, the more the fear gets chased away. So just run closer. If you're feeling scared, go closer. If you're feeling afraid, go closer. Fear of failure, go closer. Fear of judgment, go closer. Fear of rejection, fear of criticism, fear of whatever. Just get closer to him and the fear gets chased away. Thank you. Thank you. So I want you to just put your hands in front of you and we're just going to invite more of him. So Father, you said this, that perfect love casts out fear. So Father, Daddy, Abba, Father, we say come. We say come more. Help us to become more aware of you, that you are already here, that you've always been here, that you're nearer than our skin and closer than the air we breathe.
our Father, our Father. We just release more of your presence. We love your presence. We love your presence. We love your presence. We say we're open to a love encounter that chases away fear. Who's got a good daddy? We could stop there, but let's, let's just, you can finish that later. I, I want to talk about it's poppy time. It's tall poppy time. And I just want to talk a little bit about uh, what's God been talking to me about for the, since the start of this year and just give you a piece of my life and know that it's going to encourage you in your journey. Is that okay? That's good. Because otherwise we'd have a problem. So if I put this picture up, what do you see? You see tulips. That is really, really good because those are not poppies. Those are tulips. That's just a trick question, but thank you for noticing that. This is, a, this is an actual field of tulips. And, uh, and Sherry Silk was going somewhere to speak at a conference, saw it, and took a photo. So that's how I got the photo. But what do you see? Let's just assume they're poppies. Poppies are supposed to be red, aren't they? But for, for a man who doesn't know, hey, it could be anything. So I'm just assuming they're poppies. For the illustration, they're poppies. What do you see? Three tall poppies? Three yellow tall poppies. Okay, or tall, tall tulips, whatever. What else do you see? The rest all the same? Flowers. Clouds. I see clouds. That's good. Is there anything else anyone else sees? Trees. Can I tell you what I see? See, there's these beautiful rows of poppies. There's these tall ones standing out. But I see a whole field of poppies holding back. So that's why it's tall poppy time. We're just going to leave that up there. So Here's what God's been spoken, speaking to me about. At the start of this year, in, in, on the 2nd of January, I got this, this message of, of this, from this random guy that I met like at some business. And he said, I was praying for you this morning. I had this word for you. And the word was, get a bulldozer and go all out. Get a bulldozer and go all out. And I was like, wow, that's, that's, what would that look like? What would it look like if I was fearless? What would it look like because I'm fearless? You see, you see my personality and the way that I grew up and everything that I walked through, I've always held back because I didn't want to be one of those three that got chopped out. Because I've seen others that have stepped out and failed. So I'm afraid if I step out, what if I fail? Of what if I make a mess? So whenever I've done something, 
I've done it. I've done it well. I've done it with excellence. But I've done. I can't say that I've gone fully after something. Get a bulldozer and go all out. What does a bulldozer do? A bulldozer can transform a landscape in 24 hours. A bulldozer can level a mountain. A bulldozer can cut a path where thousands can follow. Get a bulldozer and go all out. About a month later, we were sitting in, and Janine and I are working with a team trying to explore what supernatural coaching looks like. How do I partner with the Holy Spirit and tap into what he's saying and, what he's, and draw it out of you? So I'm not telling you, I'm drawing out of you what the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. And so they practiced on me, as you do. I'm not sure whether I volunteered or they volunteered me. And one of them had this scripture, and we're going to just turn there. It's 2 Kings 13. And the background is in this, the prophet Elisha is dying. He's got the sickness from which he will die. And the king at the time, Joash, comes to him and says, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen. He's basically saying, I recognize that you're dying. 2 Kings 13, 17 and 18. But I'll, I'll read this from verse 15. And Elisha said to him, the king, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and, and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So this is a picture. So you've got the king and he's got his hand. He's taken his hand. He's got his hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. So we've got the king, and we've got Elisha with his hands over the king's hands, holding the bow. We've got the prophet and the king together. And he said, open the east window, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. Some of you today just need to shoot. Just open that window and shoot. And he shot and he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Nothing that God does is half-hearted. Nothing that he does is hesitant. Nothing that he does is is, is kind of just tentative. Then he says, take the arrows. So he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he shot some arrows. He shot one arrow. And then he has said, you must strike this army until you have utterly destroyed them. That's the command. Then he says, now take the arrow and strike the ground. So the king takes the arrow and he strikes the ground three times. And Elisha says, oh, my goodness, dude, if only you had struck the ground like five, six or more times, because then you would have utterly destroyed them. But because of what you've done, you're only going to get a couple of victories. Now, and what's that talking about to me is, so all my life, I've done things so that I didn't stand out too much. 
uh, as a family, we were in Auckland at Bible College, and, and that was, for me personally, a challenging time. And I was just trying to fit in. I was trying to fit into the crowd, trying to, uh, how do I not stand out? Because I know what it is to be stood out and getting beaten up for, be, for standing out from a crowd. So I'm just going to step in the crowd because it's, it's less painful that way. So when we came back down to fielding when I was in the third form, and we had this relieving teacher in our class, and he goes, okay, everybody, one at a time, you stand up, say your name, and say one thing about you. So I stand up, and I say, my name's Andrew, and I'm normal. And he said, this God man that he was, what does that mean? Because there is no such thing as normal. You were not made to fit in. You were made to stand out. You were not made to fit in. You were made to stand out. There is not a single person that, is, that you're to look like or live like because you are you. Take an arrow, strike it on the ground. What was God saying to me? He says, anywhere in your life where you're doing something that is half or hesitant or you hold back, you need to no longer do that. What is in your hand that I have given you that I've asked you to go after? And whatever you do, do it with all your might. Hebrews 10 says, we're not of those who draw back to destruction, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. That was the second one. The third one was we got a movie out. Just watched it on, on a DVD at home. And it's the movie Secretariat. Has anyone seen the movie? Someone who's traveled has. Secretariat is this movie about this horse. And it's a horse race. And in this movie, uh, this foal is born to parents. And uh, when there's two, two foals born... And one is chosen by a multi-billionaire because he figures that's the best horse because he knows the breeding, the bloodline, the genetics, everything about this horse, that's what he wants because that looks like the horse that's going to win the races. And he leaves this other one. That's Secretariat. Built for speed but not built for endurance. And it goes through the story. Of, it's a real story. 1973. The Belmont Stakes in America. There hasn't been a horse that's won these three races in decades. So much has hung on the balance. Secretariat is a huge horse. Huge horse. And every race that he runs, he's kind of like a New Zealander. He loves to sit in the gate, at the gate of the start of the race. And when every other horse is getting ready, he just leans back. And loves to come from behind. So every time he would come out of the gate last. Last. Leave it till about three quarters away around the track. And then he'd kind of kick it into gear. And he'd win. He'd do enough. Do enough to win. Because he knew he had it in him. It had it in him. But he didn't want to stand out too much. It comes to this final race. And this, it, something in this just wrecked me. comes to this final race, and this is 
the race of all races. There's, there's the stakes for the owners. They're going to lose their farm if this doesn't turn out in their favor. And basically, there's only five horses left in the race because no one else want, realizes that it's just between those two foals. One was built for speed. One was bred, and its breeding is speed and endurance. And this is the longest race in America. So what do you expect to happen? They line up at the gate. The expectation is that this horse will come out running from the back, but this other horse is just going to push him and push him and push him to blow his heart out. And he won't be able to finish the race. That's what they expect. But what happens when the starter's gun goes, Secretariat comes out straight to the front? And I still can't quite work out why this impacts me so much, except that I know that that's what God's called us to do. You're called to run with everything in you and not hold back and not try to fit into the crowd because you weren't born for the crowd. You were called to stand out, not fit in. He runs, and for three quarters of that race, this other horse is pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And the owner of this other horse is laughing because he knows that it's impossible for this horse secretariat to actually win because he knows it's going to blow him out because he was built for speed, not endurance. Who gets three quarters of the way around, and secretariat starts to pull out from this other horse. They're way ahead of the other pack. Starts to pull out. And they're looking. You say, he's one length in front. And they look. The crowd just starts to go quiet. Like, this is impossible. This is impossible. I watched this clip this morning with Ben, my son, six-year-old son. And he's listening. And the crowd, there's a guy in the crowd that says, on this little clip, saying, this is impossible. And my son Ben says, no, it's not. Nothing's impossible. <laughs> it gets around. He's one length in front. Then he pulls out two lengths in front, five lengths in front. And he doesn't slow down. Ten lengths in front. And the crowd's just silent. They run like horses. Each one of them knows their rank. They don't jostle for position because they're a great and mighty army. And the Lord of hosts is at their head. He comes around the, this last length, and then he's 10 lengths, 20 lengths, 31 lengths ahead of the next horse. And it hasn't been done since. Until you. Because it's your time. And it's tall poppy time. What would it look like if you embraced what God had given you and you just knew, well, I don't know everything about it, but I know this one thing. If you said, I'm just going to run with that, with everything that I've got. I'm not going to try to fit into the crowd. I'm not going to try and mold my life or conform my life as Janine was talking about last week. But I'm going to go all out after what God has placed within me. And I'm not going to hold back. 
I'm not going to hesitate. I'm just going to go all out. And, and if I die, I die. But I know that I've run with everything I am. And I know that I've spent my life fully running within my purpose to display God's goodness through my life. Is it someone still there? Turn your Bibles to, to Matthew 14. What if you were fearless? What would a life of continual intimacy with perfect love look like? Knowing that I'm seated in between Jesus and God, squeezed up there in heaven, intimately connected with perfect love. Love chases away the fear. In this story, Jesus is with his disciples and just before this story, Jesus has fed the 5,000. Well, actually, Jesus and the disciples fed the 5,000. He told them, you guys see a need? You've got com compassion to do something about it? So do it. And they say, well, we can't. We've only got a couple of loaves. And Jesus says, that'll do. When I said, do it, it means you can use anything and, and it'll happen. So they take these loaves, multiply it, and we know the story. They ended up with more than what they started. And they fed 5,000 people. That's, that's amazing. What's the core lesson? That when Jesus said something's going to happen, it's going to happen. If he said for you to go, you're to go. And not worry about, about what just use what's in your hand. He then says, okay, boys. Now you are going to cross over this bit of sea. Matthew 14, 14. That's the story of the, the 5,000. We come down to verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. He's told them, you're crossing over. What have they just learned? When Jesus says something, it's going to happen. They get in the boat. They're crossing over. They're starting to... Now, this is a big fishing boat. There's quite a few of them. So it's not just a little rowboat. It's probably bigger than that. They're crossing over, and it says that the wind was contrary or was against them. It's difficult. There's big waves. Jesus goes up the mountain, and he just connects with the Father, has a good old time. And then because Jesus is fearless, he comes down, and he just starts walking on the water across the lake. He gets, let's say, halfway across the lake. And whether he's going to pass them by in this situation, we don't know. But they look out 
and they freak out and say, it's a ghost. When was the last time that Jesus appeared to you in a way that you weren't used to and so you got scared? Because it looked like a ghost or it looked like something that you weren't accustomed to. Often Jesus comes in a form that we're not accustomed to to see what we'll do. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. That cracks me up. He must have shouted that out. And look what happens. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Whose dream was it to walk on water? Peter's dream. So he said, as in Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come out of the boat and walked on the water, I can't imagine that, him climbing down off the side of the boat. It's like, does he just jump on the water? Does he, does he dip his foot in? Does he, how, how does he, I don't know how he does it. Maybe he's got one of those kind of things over the back of the boat. You, it, ladder comes down, you step over, step into the jet ski, step out of the jet ski, into the water, and begins to walk on the water out to Jesus. And he gets far enough out that he can't reach back and steer himself by the ship. But he's still not close enough. He's not close enough to Jesus so he can still feel the fear. And he allows the fear to capture his attention and he begins to sink. But what happens? Jesus reaches out, grabs him, and lifts him up. And then what happens? He walks on the water a second time with Jesus back to the boat. And Jesus says this, verse 31, And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Is that a bad thing? Is little faith a bad thing? Has anyone here walked on water? How much faith do you need to move a mountain? A little bit. What did Jesus just say to him? You're of little faith. That's not a bad thing. Who says little faith's a bad thing? With a little faith, with faith the size of a mustard seed, you can speak and command anything to be moved. He's confirmed that you've got little faith. He was one of 12 that stepped out on water. That's not a bad thing. But why did you doubt? The little faith's not the problem. It's the doubting. Is this making sense? A commendation and a correction, all tied up in one. I want to speak to, to three groups of people here this morning. Three groups of tall poppies that are standing up. And the first is those that 
that you know that there's some dreams in your heart that you're holding back. That I know that this is what's in me. I know that that's what I want to step out and do. But currently, I'm comfortable and to step out of here, it's going to be scary. And I'm not even sure if this is Jesus. Because this is not... This is not in the four walls of what is expected. Well, I'm not even sure what this would look like. So I want to tell you this morning that how do you know? We'll ask him and say, God, Jesus, if this is you, tell me to come. And then listen. And he'll say, come. And then you need to just step out of that boat. Step out of the comfort. Step out of the limitations that you put on yourself. Step out of the hesitation and the fear and just start to walk towards him. There's another group of people here this morning. And you've been that person where you stepped out. You were like Peter. You had little faith, which was enough to get you out of the boat. And you started walking. I don't know whether that was to pray for people, whether that was to start a business. Maybe that was to, to, to go on a trip. Maybe that was to start a relationship. Maybe that was getting married. Maybe that was stepping out in some other way. And you got halfway out, and then you saw what it was really like, and there's no longer the safety and security. It's just uncertainty and a lot of wind. And you began to sink. And today, Jesus is saying to you, well done, you've got little faith. But I want to take your hand and walk with you again. That you've let me trust, just trust me, because I've got a hold of you. And you actually don't have to trust trying to hold on to me, but you just got to trust that I've got a hold of you. When Peter walked out, it was all about Peter walking out based on a word. But once he got out and he freaked out and Jesus took a hold of him, it was no longer about Peter doing what he thought he could do. Now it's about Jesus has got a hold of me. We could skip, we could dance on, we could do anything because I know I don't trust my ability anymore, but I trust in his ability to hold on to me. And we can walk on the water. And then there's a third group of people, and I think there's people probably in all three categories, that's, and that's okay. There were 11 people that were in the boat. One person walking on the water. What would it have been like if those 11 disciples, when Peter started to get out, they're saying, come on, Peter, you can do it. Peter starts, hey, Peter, I believe it. I believe in you. You can do this. Come on, Peter, keep walking. Peter starts to turn around. They say, come on, Peter, keep your eyes on Jesus. You can do this. I know you've got it. I can see you with Jesus right now. Come on, Peter, keep walking. What would it be like if 11 of those disciples had done that? If they said, hey, hey, Cheyenne, keep singing because you step out. You can keep doing this. Hey, Carl, step out. Steve, come on. You can do this. Keep walking. Keep walking. I know it looks scary, but keep walking because you're just about there. Just keep walking. Keep going. Don't hold back. Ignore what you see around you. That's just the wind. 
Keep your eyes on Jesus because you're doing a great work and you haven't got time to get distracted. What would it be like if they just poured and yelled out encouragement to him? That when, just like that horse secretariat starting to pull out, hey, keep going. Come on, keep going. It gets into the final stage of that race. And they yell out, the owner's yelling out. Now it's yelling out to the owner. The owner's yelling out to the, the jockey who's sitting on the horse. Just hold on. Whatever you do, don't fall off. Because you're winning. You're winning more than you realize. Just don't let go. Just hold on to that horse because you're going to get there. Is this making sense? What if, what if we encourage one another? Because there's a person sitting next to you that's stepping out into new things. And the biggest thing that they need is someone to hold their hand and say, I believe in you. I believe that you can do things. What you're doing, that's not for me. But I trust that what you can do, that God will give you everything you need. And I want to encourage you to step out. Because you are a tall poppy. You weren't born to fit in. You weren't born to hold back. You were born to be fearless. You were born to bring hope to a community that I'm not a part of. Your friends, your family, your, your street, your business, wherever you are, you were called to reach out and engage them and to show them what love looks like. Love that's fearless. Love that's unashamed. Love that will grab a hold of something and run with it. Though none go with me, still I will walk out this thing. What do you see? I see a field of poppies starting to stand up. I see a field of poppies starting to stand out. You know, the amazing thing about New Zealanders is Everywhere they go around the world, they are known for their innovation, for their ingenuity, for their hard work, for their ability to be able to take a task and just get it done. That they're renowned around the world for that very thing. But here we hold back. Is it possible that God's saying, you guys, I've placed something in you. To stand out. What if. What if we stood out. What if we stood out. What if we just embraced. Who God said we are. And just chose to live it wholehearted. How do I do that. How do I do that. How do I overcome the fear. One. I can encourage the people around me. But two. I need a 1 John 4.18 encounter. Love that makes me fearless. I need to say to him, God, just say the word. Say come. And let me feel your love. I just receive your love.